Well, I think that the Dominican Republic is cursed. That's Indira Suero, an independent journalist in the Dominican Republic. She recently wrote a piece where she attributes the many challenges the island nation faces to forces beyond human comprehension. We do have this saying in the Dominican Republic that we have the fuku from when Columbus came to the island and that something that has haunted us from a long, long time ago. We've had dictatorships, we've had a lot of natural disasters, the Sahara dust, uh, malaria, and dengue. And now in this year, in 2020, we've had two elections and two suspended elections and the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. After 16 years, the center-left Dominican Liberation Party has lost its power in the Dominican Republic, or the DR, as it's known. 52-year-old Luis Abinader was announced president-elect of the Dominican Republic. Abinader obtuvo cerca del 53% de los votos. The country has a new president, Luis Abinader. He ran for office in 2016 and lost to Danilo Medina. The businessman tried for the second time this July and won. He was sworn in just hours ago. Luis Abinader se convierte en el nuevo presidente electo de la República Dominicana. Ganamos. Hoy ganamos. Muchas gracias. Corruption, a fragile economy, and COVID-19 are some of the challenges that his government will face. In Latin America, the DR is one of the countries that has been hardest hit by the pandemic. With one of the highest infection rates in the region and an economy based heavily on tourism, the lockdown imposed because of the pandemic is having immediate effects. Analysts say it might take until 2023 to get the economy back to where it was before COVID. With what's seen by some as a radical shift in power, while the pandemic continues to take its toll, we wanted to know what people hope for from this new administration. Tell me about Luis Rodolfo Abinazar. How did he manage to wrangle control over the country after a 16-year run by the ruling party? Well, I think that he won because of the fact that people in the country are tired of the current government, but also of the state of things in the Dominican Republic, the corruption, the bribery, Indira has been following the political landscape in her native DR. She's reported a lot about the corruption that has plagued the island's government. For example, the way that the government handles itself with the corruption cases such as the one of Odebrecht. A federal court in New York indicted Odebrecht and its subsidiary, the chemical company Braschem. The firm's dirty dealings have implicated at least three sitting or former presidents. The company paid bribes in a dozen countries. Those bribes helped the firm get contracts and other benefits worth at least $3 billion. Odebrecht is a Brazilian conglomerate accused of offering a series of bribes to several countries in Latin America between 2001 and 2016. The sum totaled $788 million. The cash incentives were given to people in positions of power in governments, 
to assign contracts to the company. It's reported that the company paid around $92 million to government officials in the Dominican Republic. And so far, no one has been judged because of it. And even some of the people that were accused of bribery during the Odebrecht case, they were running for some places in the government during the past electoral campaign. So I think that that tells you that the way that things work here is like in your face. I'm going to do some corruption action, but I'm going to do it in your face. Why? Because I know that no one is going to do anything and that things are going to remain the way they are. Well, this is a new chapter in the history of the Dominican Republic and the PRM, which is the Partido Revolucionario Moderno, now has the ability to address some of the important issues uh, that Dominicans feel are of great importance. That is U.S. Congressman Adriano Espaillat of New York's 13th Congressional District. We caught up with him in one of his offices. I'm here in New York City, in our district office. He's also Dominican-American, the only one in the U.S. Congress. He's been following the presidential elections in the DR. It's where he was born. And as a career politician, I had the chance to ask him his thoughts about his former home. He has a lot to say about the politics there. You know, the Dominican Republic is facing very dire circumstances. For example, there is no tourism, which is their main source of income. The remittances, which is another important uh, source of revenue, are down. There is a looming debt over the economy. And of course, they're right in the middle of a pandemic. And so this is like a perfect storm. So Dominicans in the U.S., Dominican-Americans and those who would be able to vote, you were pretty vocal in trying to ensure that right this past July. What was at stake for Dominicans abroad with this election and now with this election result? Well, they had a, a constitutional right that was acquired when the Constitution was reformed that gave uh, the diaspora, the, not just in the United States, but in Europe and the rest of the world, the right to vote. So there was close to 600,000 voters, and they have seven members of Congress, of the House of Deputies. While the island has a population of nearly 11 million people, Dominicans abroad also have a say in the fate of their home country. As Representative Espaillat says, they pick seven members of Congress to represent their interest in their homeland. I think they should also have a senator. And they don't have that according to the Constitution, but I think that they should. They shouldn't be subjected to a second-class citizenship. If you have enough people for seven diputados, congressional members, you should at least have one, if not two, senators. And so I was fighting to ensure that the right to vote was preserved and that they would not be disenfranchised. And we accomplished that. So I think that they feel happy that that right was not stripped from them. The leader now chosen with reforming the country has just been sworn in. So I had to ask Indira, who lives on the island, how important his win is for the diaspora, a group of more than the two million just in the United States. It matters a lot, especially because 
uh, for example, the Minister of Exterior Relationships, that is also one of the things that people are expecting to change. One of the aspects of the new government that we want to see a change. Why? Because there are a lot of people in positions in other countries that they're earning even $10,000 a month for doing nothing. Indira is talking about criticism the Dominican government gets. People say it has too many employees in its embassies and consulates around the world. She says it's not clear what their roles entail. Abinader has promised he will clean those positions and change the way the Ministry of Foreign Affairs operates. To the ones living in the United States, it will matter a lot because that is one of the places in which there are a lot of positions of people doing nothing. And also because we need someone that helps the diaspora in the United States to feel engaged with the Dominican Republic. Because what happens is that there were a lot of people that left the Dominican Republic in the 80s, in the 90s, and they raised their families in the United States and they will tell you, oh yes, my parents are Dominicans, but I've never been to the Dominican Republic. So when those parents die, what will happen with those ties? What will happen with the money that the parents send? Because we also live from the money that a lot of people living abroad send. Tell me about what makes Abinader different. Who is he as a man? Abinader, basically, he's a businessman. He owns one of the universities here in the Dominican Republic, a private university. He has very traditional opinions, and he is a very Christian person. So I will say that what made people vote for him was what he was proposing. He was proposing change. And I think that just by hearing someone saying, I'm going to change what is happening in the country. I'm going to be the changement. I think that that was it. So all of these cases of corruption, all of these issues with other aspects of the Dominican Republic life help him to win the vote of most of the electorate. So what is Abinazar's plan to curb this corruption? Well, one of his promises during the campaign was that he was going to change completely the judicial system. He was going to give independence to the attorney general. We are still waiting for him to choose an attorney general because here in the Dominican Republic, the president is the one that appoints the attorney general. The attorney general we are going to pick will not have a political background because he will bring to justice every individual who deserves it for corruption charges, regardless of what party they belong to. So he's promising to propose an independent attorney general, a person that has no ties with any type of groups in the Dominican Republic or that has no interest, particular interest, that might affect when he's judging or accusing someone. As Indira explained, Abinader campaigned on a promise to overhaul the country's judicial system. As part of that, he will pick an independent attorney general to hold federal employees accountable. Corruption and impunity in the Dominican Republic impact all levels. In 2019, the organization Transparency International 
released a poll showing 23% of people who used a public service think getting a license, a passport, or any legal document paid a bribe to a government official. So, realistically, what could be done about rooting out corruption, even in the smaller forms? Actually, it's very interesting, Malika, that you point that because a bribery here in the Dominican Republic is very common. And it's not only common in the government, like it's common everywhere, like in every position, like uh, you go to a store, you can bribe someone for something. Like it's very ingrained in society. It's part of our culture. And I think that part of it is because we see it on the highest ranks of society and in the highest levels of society. So people think, oh, if this person does that, then I can do it as well. So I think that it's a lot of looking for independent authorities and looking for educate the people on their rights and telling them like, this is what you need to do. This is what is right. This is what is wrong. Like we lack education and we need to actually know our rights and know also how to demand for them. Because I think those two aspects are very important to try to eliminate that culture of bribery. Watching from afar, Congressman Esfayad offers his own anecdote on the wisdom of rooting out corruption and the possibilities that could open up. Corruption is also an important aspect, uh, an important issue. And I think they will have to address corruption because as the president of El Salvador said, you know, when you don't steal money, anything is possible, right? <laughs> and so, and you can afford yes about everything. And so they, uh, he, he will have to also have to address uh, the issue of transparency, right, in government, which I think is important to many Dominicans here and abroad and, and in the island. So there is another big crisis that the president will have to contend with when he takes office, and that, of course, is the pandemic. Unfortunately for the Dominican Republic, COVID-19 has really ravaged the country, so it has one of the highest transmission rates of the virus in the region. Some areas are under a curfew to help with social distancing and try to curb the rise in cases. But what policies do people want the president to put into place? How do they expect him to fight this? We have more than 70,000 confirmed cases. That is considering the fact that we don't have enough tests and that it's very difficult to get access to testing for coronavirus. And I think that people are demanding for uh, a hospital system that is capable of taking care of people. You will see, for example, in the National Laboratory, a lot of people outside waiting to get a test. But like all of those people outside, they're gathering, like they're not respecting social distancing because they're trying just to survive. They're trying to get the test. We need more support for the medical system. And that was also one of the things that Abinader proposed during his campaign. One of the other pressing issues that the president needs to contend with or will have to contend with is the issue of violence against women. Last November, women took to the streets to protest against violence. 
the Dominican Republic has one of the highest rates of femicide. So representation matters, clearly. Someone who will fight for this issue matters. The vice president is a woman, but in his cabinet of 22 ministers, only two are women. How are women in the country feeling about this? What are they doing about this? What are those conversations like? Well, the state of women in the Dominican Republic, it's a very delicate state as well. We have one of the highest rates of domestic violence in Latin America and the Caribbean. And I think that there has not been a lot of effort maybe put into resolving that issue. We have so far from, as you mentioned, from his cabinet, we only have two women And they're not in ministries that have a lot of power or a lot of decision power. For example, one is in the Ministry of Women and the other one is in the Ministry of Youth. So basically what Abinader is doing so far is that he's continuing with the long history of putting women in places in which they don't have a lot of decision power or they cannot prove what they're really made of. For example, the the woman that was assigned as Minister of Youth, she's a chemical engineer. So why not choosing that woman for the Ministry of Energy? Like putting women where they're supposed to be, not because they're women, but because of their preparation. Because I think, and I imagine that there are prepared women in the Dominican Republic to go for any type of position. So you mentioned before, Abinader is an economist. He's a businessman. How are people feeling about his coming administration overall? Well, I will say that there's a lot of expectation. I wouldn't like to be Luis Abinader right now because even though he's going to be in a very powerful position, there are a lot of interests from a lot of groups in the Dominican Republic. And people, I think that maybe people are willing to demand their rights. Most of the people that voted for him, they voted because they wanted a change. So I think that it will be extremely disappointing not to get it, because that, again, will bring us the idea that we are cursed (laughs) and that nothing is going to change. So personally for you, what are you hoping for in this next administration? I'm hoping for someone that really cares about the country because, for example, I'm here. I was born and raised here, but a lot of my friends are not here. And that is because there is a lack of opportunities for young people. For example, I did my master's in the United States, in Florida. And I went there with a Fulbright scholarship. So when I came back, the first question that a lot of people asked me was like, what are you doing here? You're wasting your life in the Dominican Republic. Like, why are you coming back? So it's very hard to get that question, especially because you start thinking like, what am I doing here? And I think that there there are a lot of people asking themselves that question right now. And that is in the middle class. Uh, I can't imagine what is happening in the lower classes with young people that have no access to education. They have no access to scholarships like the one that I got. 
So what is the expectation for them? Like, what are their opportunities? So I really, really hope for a government that is compromised with changing the current state in the Dominican Republic. And just honesty, I think that is the main aspect that I'm waiting for. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez with Abigail Oniwohacha, Priyanka Telbe, Dina Kispe, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Natalia Eldana is our engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, go to this episode's description. You'll find extra info about the topic, and also you'll see our social media handles. Get in touch at AJ The Take. We'll be back.